Welcome to the Develop Yourself podcast, where we teach you everything you need to land your first job as a software developer by learning to develop yourself, your skills, your network, and more. I'm Brian, your host. Let me break down your next interview for you as a junior developer on the job market. I'm Brian. I'm an engineering manager, also a software engineer. Also got really, really infatuated with interviews a few years ago where I went through around 100 interviews. No lie, my friend. I did about 100 interviews, got all the way to Google, Facebook, Coinbase, ton of companies, right? Failed a ton of them. Also did very well on them and ended up increasing my salary during this time by around $30,000, which was you know non-trivial. Doing this exercise of doing this many interviews and then going on to teach people how to better do interviews in a, a private mentorship coaching business that I had before moving on to Parsity, I learned a lot about interviews. And let me tell you, you can really break them down into, I think, the three most common ones, which I'm going to outline for you here. Now, this is my experience from what I've seen in the market based as a JavaScript-focused and centric developer. If you are a back-end developer, this may not be useful. But if you're in a program like a boot camp like Parsity, you're going to get one of these interviews. I, I can basically guarantee it. Now, I've definitely seen some anomalies here, but I'm going to go over what I see are the most fundamental common interviews you're going to get and how to beat them, more importantly. By the way, at Parsity, we pair you up with a career services coach and we even have a another program we have out after you get out of Parsity to make sure that you are prepared for all these kind of interviews. So that way, when you get the foundational skills to actually build applications, you can also pass the interviews, which is going to require a different set of skills, unfortunately. I mean, interviews are weird, right? The reason they're weird is because you only do them every few years. And if you're not practicing between them, you don't really know what to expect. They're super stressful. They are completely like irrelevant most times to the type of work you do on a daily basis. And they're emotional. You know, humans have a terrible reaction to being rejected. Imagine like you're in a tribe as a human, you know, in 2000 BC or whatever. And if you're rejected from the tribe, that was a death sentence. So there's a reason why people get freaked out about interviews. I don't trivialize it at all. I know that I've had panic attacks during interviews, if I'm, if I'm being honest. In fact, in my most recent job, and this is me coming in as a senior and then moving into management, I froze up so badly on the phone that I had to like gather my thoughts and apologize. I said, hey, I'm really sorry. I freaked out, lost my train of thought. Can we do it over? I'm like, oh, that, that's it for me. We're, I'm, I'm not going to get into this company. All Plot twist, I actually made it. The person was really, really cool about it and, and welcoming and had a warm reaction to it instead of being like, what? <laughs> you loser, get off the phone. In fact, I've never had an interview go that poorly. I've done all sorts of interviews and bombed them in various ways and won a lot too. Anyway, yeah, they're, they're emotional. There's a lot of ways that your brain can think that it may play out. And so you, you have to do them, in my opinion, on a semi-regular basis in order to just get that muscle memory and to get that callus, that emotional callus that you'll need to do interviews well. And I'm going to go over all that as well here. The fear of it stems from lack of knowledge, preparedness, and, and consistency and conditioning. So it's a, it's a game at the end of the day, but it can feel like a game of a mystery. Like it feel like you're dipping your hand into one of those mystery bags and seeing what you pull out. It doesn't need to be. So here's the first type of interview you're likely to encounter. One of my least favorite, the game of trivia. Who does these? Non-tech companies, larger companies that are also non-tech, and older companies. By, what, by the way, when I say non-tech company, 
I, I think of basically 99% of companies. There's really only a few big tech-focused companies like Airbnb, Pinterest, Twitter, um, Meta, Google, YouTube, Netflix. These places are very tech-heavy companies, and they're also massive. So what is this game of trivia? It is the interviewer will go through a list of questions related to the primary programming language that you'll use at work. The more obscure the question, the more you should question whether you want to work there. For front-end focused roles, you should expect to answer questions about the event loop, defining closure, ES6 trivia, like map, what's the difference between map, between filter and reduce, and of course, this. And when I say this, I mean, can you explain what this is in JavaScript? You're going to get a plethora of these types of questions. I think these are kind of worthless. I used to ask these questions, but I realized that, you know, you could just memorize this junk and it doesn't tell me anything about how you are as a developer. How do you study for this stuff? You can read the MDN docs around JavaScript. Be prepared to answer the most common JS questions. I actually have a JavaScript last minute study cheat sheet. If you reach out, I will send that to you. It's pretty good. I used to use it myself before all the interviews I went to. And let me tell you, it's really good. You want to refresh yourself on the differences between let, const, Find, call, apply, browser APIs, scope, and do not forget closure, the $10,000 question. Eric Elliott, was it Elliot Erickson? There's a guy that wrote about this. It's called like closure, the $10,000 question. Look it up. It goes to really deep into it about why it's called the $10,000 question, basically because it can be the difference between junior, mid, and a senior level offer. Your, your comfortability and ability to explain and practically use closure. So this is the game of trivia interview. One of the most likely ones you're going to get. Stupid interview. Doesn't teach you much, but hey, you are going to get it. Next one is everybody's favorite. The one everybody prepares for that barely anybody ever gets. People love this stupid type of interview. The lead code style interview. The most popular interview style in people's minds. It is not the most popular interview style in reality. So who asked this question? The big famous tech companies. Fang. Fang meaning Facebook, Apple, um, Netflix, Google, Fang. Now people call it Mang for, for Meta, Apple, um, Netflix, Google, and, and other big tech companies. They, they love this kind of stuff. But you know why? Because it's repeatable, it's consistent, and it's something that they can processify, right? This is the one that you're going to be preparing for almost certainly, even though I think you probably shouldn't be preparing for this kind of interview because I don't think it's likely you're going to get them. First of all, hiring at massive tech companies has slowed down. You mean, if you're, unless you've been hiding under a rock, you know that the layoffs mostly affected these large companies. Smaller companies actually are on the rebound and e-commerce, education, um, manufacturing. There, there's a lot of what I call boring types of industries that are becoming more tech focused and they're going to be hiring more. They tend to not ask these kind of questions because they don't tend to get people from these types of disciplines. They need product engineers, what I like to call product engineers, people that can come build something that's practical and understand how to deploy it. Very, very difficult skills. While, on the other hand, a company like Google can get somebody that knows computer science fundamentals really, really well and say, cool, we understand you know this really, really well. Let us teach you how to do it our way. We have the time, the money, the processes, the support to help you learn to do things our way. If you go to a smaller company that's doing e-commerce stuff, they don't have time for that. They're like, we need somebody that can do some practical stuff and get down to business. Anyway, you are going to likely get some type of leap code style interview question. We call them whiteboard questions. These are algorithms and data structures. Common algorithms and data structures to study include graph and trees, 
how to build them from scratch, how to, how to traverse them using breadth-first search, depth-first search. Other questions include string manipulation, famous sorting and searching algorithms like binary search, merge sort, quick sort, and recursion. The more difficult the company, the more likely is you're going to get a recursion question. You're much less likely to see linked lists in my experience going from interviews at Google and Meta and Coinbase as well. Th that, that is one of the few data structures I see come up the least. Trees and graphs, I'd say, come up quite a lot. And learning how to traverse those structures in a performant way is a good thing to know. Again, don't let these kind of things scare you. I think if you if you tackle studying leap code and algorithms and data structures in let me look up the most common data structures, learn how to code them from scratch, then learn how to use them. That is going to take you much further than doing a random set of like interview questions on lead code. That's how most people study, and that is the exact wrong way to study. You should be learning, okay, what are the data structures? Trees, graphs, linked lists, tries. What else is out there? Okay, there's some sorting algorithms I need to know. Okay, cool. Now I know them. I know how to code them from scratch. Now, how can I use them? What are their proper use cases? What are some practical use cases for these things? That is going to get you prepared for the majority of interviews. Again, are you likely to see these? No. Here's the one that you are going to get. Build a UI component. Extend the functionality of something. This is what I like to call the practical exam. Who asked this? More and more, more FANG companies are asking this, especially since the AI revolution, because nowadays it's trivial to use ChatGPT to solve a really difficult lead code style problem in a, in a couple seconds. And because most of these interviews are remote for large companies, they just can't, they can't ask these anymore and, and be confident that you actually know what you're talking about because it's way too easy to use ChatGPT. So I see a lot more of, hey, let's build something together or let's extend the functionality of something. Coinbase actually asked me, that was our whole interview. Our six hour interview was just doing lots of Hey, let's build this thing together. Let's let's make these unit tests pass. Really like practical stuff. I loved it. It was a great interview process. So in this interview, you're, is the one you're most likely to encounter. And I, I continue to see the industry trend more towards these style of interviews. In fact, at, at Clorox, that was one of the first things I did was to implement this type of interview. And we've had great success with it. We've hired three people so far using this process. And it's been great. They've hit the ground running. They've been incredibly great to work with really skilled, we got exactly what we thought we were going to get. And on the other hand, in the past, using the trivia style interview and the lead code style interview, we got people that were good at interviews, but not good at the practical usage of the stuff we wanted to do. Like they couldn't use React or do the stuff we wanted. So yeah, anybody out there that's listening that may be a manager, I, I totally suggest you go towards this style of interview if you're smaller or if you need people to hit the ground running. Okay, so I've done this interview dozens of times. Here's one of the most common ones because everybody's using React. You'll get some form of this question. Almost guaranteed. I'll bet you five bucks that you're going to get this type of question. Let's build a React component that fetches some data asynchronously and displays it in a visually pleasing way. They're going to give you a small mock-up. Maybe they're going to give you an API and say, cool, now let's build a small React component using something like Code Sandbox or CodePen or whatever. A variation of this might be to give you a component that has some bugs and say, well, we need to fix this now. And I'm seeing unit testing is becoming a more common part of these types of interviews. Now, how do you study for this? The best luck you can have to make your own luck for doing this is to build small side projects using React or Angular or whatever, whatever you're using. I hope you're using React because I think that's the most common thing you're going to encounter in the field. 
in different parts of the country, of course, there's popularity differs, but React, of course, being by far and away the most popular framework out there. So hopefully you're getting enough practice just by building a small side project, but at, at the very, very least, you want to understand how to use window.fetch to fetch data from an API, use something like Code Sandbox or CodePin to quickly scaffold up a small React component and use it. And that's going to basically teach you, you know, the kind of, that's going to mimic the kind of environment you're going to be in during that exam, during that interview. And that's going to help you out to beat your nerves and get more familiar with like the kind of coding environment. And that is at least the way you can study in quotes for that. Here's some not so honorable mentions. So we went over the top three and you may be thinking, what about take-home projects? Those have skyrocketed in popularity. I hate take-home projects. It's like, hey, how about this? How about you build us something for free? <laughs> Which is a wild idea. It's like, how about you take a full weekend, you build us something, and then you send it to us, and then we tell you maybe if we like it or not. And if we don't like it, we'll just we'll just reject you. We'll give you zero feedback on it, even though you've spent days crafting it for free. I can't tell you how much I don't like these. I know a lot of people do because they, they feel like it takes the pressure off them, and I understand that. But at the same time, for me, I'm like, I just think this is a not ethical thing to do for the most part. I think for really small companies, startups, junior positions, they can get away with this. If somebody asked me to do this now, I would just say no. <laughs> I'm not, I don't have the time to do that. I have no desire to do that. And if you can't determine maybe from a from an exam or some sort of technical interview, then, then maybe this isn't a good thing. Or if you want to pay me to do it, that, that's fine. If you want to contract me to work for you for a bit, that, that's cool too. That seems like a reasonable one. Anyway, you can't always avoid these. So how do you beat them? You beat them through documentation and adding a test. 99% of people will not add a simple unit test to these projects. And other people, the other, you know, whatever percent, some other massive amount of people will not add any useful documentation. On top of that, here's the cherry on top. If you really want to beat them, if you really want to make take your chances and kick them up a notch, add a video using loom.com or something like that. If you add a video in there, they're even going to be more impressed. They're going to say, that, that way it gives you a chance to, to show off who you are. You know, if you're good on camera, if you're like awful on camera for whatever reason, or you feel real uncomfortable, don't add the video. The documentation should more than suffice. And the unit test will give you that extra boost you're going to need. That is the way you're likely to beat this. Also, please, for the love, for the love of Bob, use a formatter. Use a coding formatter. How many times have I seen people's unformatted code with comments still left in there, with semicolons somewhere, sometimes not a semicolon, sometimes two spaces, sometimes four spaces for the indentation. It looks ugly and it screams, I'm so, so junior. So avoid that at all costs. Here's the last one I'm going to go over. For, for, for those of you that may be listening that are not junior, not super junior, system design is becoming a thing. Right? It's becoming more and more of a must-have, a must-know for people at lower and lower levels. It used to be more reserved for seniors, engineering managers, staff-level engineers, maybe mid-level. Now I see there's more for like front-end type people and for more junior type people. So what is system design? It's usually where they'll ask you to say, hey, how would you rebuild some popular app? So I've been asked this before. One of the most common ones is, how would you build a rate limiter? How would you design Facebook's news feed? How would you solve this problem that our company actually solved? Maybe they'll give you a very practical example of saying, hey, you know, last year we had a problem with performance on the web and we, we noticed this was happening and here's how we solved it. I mean, no, they won't say here's how we solved it. They'll ask you, how would you solve that? And they already have an answer in their mind and now they're trying to determine how you're going to do it. 
there are, you know, three, between three and five, I think, really common system design type questions that are out there. I'd say small companies, startups, and FANG tend to ask this more often than other companies, which actually is a pretty large slice of the potential candidates that may ask this kind of question. I do think you should understand a little bit about it. There's a great book out there called System Design. It's like System Design Interview by Alex Zhu, X-U. Excellent book. It's short to the point, and it's like not overly academic. You can read it in a couple days. Also, Bite, Bite, Go. I think it's the same guy is involved now. I'm not paid, by the way, to to support or promote that stuff. I, I Maybe I should be. Maybe I should ask him, Alex, if you're out there listening, you know, shoot me a donut or something like that. I love that book, and I like the other book he wrote. He wrote a second part to it, and I'm also a subscriber to Bite, Bite, Go. I think it's a really excellent site, and it's helpful for people trying to learn system design. And you can go through there and look at like the top five types of ones. I actually have another cheat sheet on system design. If you want to just know the very, very basics, also happy to give that out to you to help you out. Even if it's not with Parsity, you, you can you can take that and, and run with it and see if it's, if it's helpful for you. So I think those are the things that you are the most likely to encounter out there on the interview circuit. The interview skills and your developer skills are two different things. And the more and more you see the interview as a game and not some indication of your actual worth as a developer or your skills, the better you're going to be and the more in the right mind frame you're going to be to beat it right? Here's some very non-technical tips for you as well. So once you get to the interview, you've studied, you've got everything ready, you, you bind, call, apply, closure, you studied the system design questions, you added the unit test. When you're there on camera, inevitably, when you're doing that remote interview, which you're going to do at some point, have some water near you. Do something beforehand to de-stress yourself so you're not in there with really high nerves. You know, Maybe you don't pound a bunch of coffee before you're in there. I like to do something a little physical, like take a walk around the block. Just remind myself that, hey, you know what? This is just, in the big scheme of things, I'm talking to some stranger that I may never talk to again, and who cares? Either I'm going to do well or I'm not. Also, there's no shame in ending the interview early. You don't need to be somebody's like punching bag if you're in an interview situation where you just do not know the answer. I've had this happen too at Facebook. It's on the call. And I was like, I, I have no clue. I said, look, I don't want to waste your time or mine. I, I prefer to end this interview. Or I did it in a very polite way, in, in my opinion. And I think the interviewer was pleased that I did that. I've done that. Actually, I did that twice another time when I was really junior. I said, you know, I, I think that I'm out of my depth here. I don't think I can answer the question. They were both really gracious and said, are you sure? You know, let's, you know I'm, I'm more than willing to help you. I'm like, I have no clue what to say. And I could sit here and kind of BS you for a while. But Let's just end it. And and you can do that too. There's no prize for sitting through an interview. You know you're not going to pass. You can say, you know, I'm really sorry. I think I didn't perform very well here. I apologize if I've wasted your time. But I think I think it's better if we just part ways at this point because I don't I don't think I can win. Now, that's that's a move you should pull out only if you're like super like you know that you just bombed it, right? If you know like, oh man, I bombed this thing. Like, let's just end it right here. You don't have to sit there for the next 45 minutes. What's the point, you know? Some people are too polite and they'll, and they'll let you do that even though they already know you bombed. They're like, well, I guess I got to sit here for an hour and just kind of kick it with you. Anyway, yeah, water, do something physical. Always know you can hit the bailout button, even if you're in person. <laughs> Why not? Who cares? At the end of the day, these are strangers. Also remember that you are interviewing these people too. Don't let them have all the power. They're, they got you in the room because they want to ultimately make you an offer. Remember, you're, you're not interviewing for fun. You are interviewing people because you want to interview them and potentially offer them money. So 
remember that you should be asking questions too, like, hey, what are some of the most common issues that junior developers face onboarding onto the team? How do you guys handle critical issues? You know, what happens when something blows up at midnight? How does that work? What do you feel about testing? These kind of questions are going to illuminate you a lot into about the culture of the company that you're potentially going to join and also paint you as a candidate that actually cares. Worst questions to ask might be, when you know when is when are bonuses? Uh, when how long vacation can I take? What's the latest I could get to the office? I've heard these kind of questions and it makes me immediately think, mm, probably don't want to hire you. <laughs> when somebody asks me something really really good and kind of personal or not personal but kind of more work related that I can I can relate to, I, I like that a lot. When people ask me things like, "What is the best part of your job?" or "What's what's one thing about your job you would change?" Those are really cool questions to ask because it, it leads to interesting conversations or you know what's if you manage the entire team what's the one thing you changed today you know what's the word what's the biggest mistake you made in the last year another great question makes them become more vulnerable makes you see them as a person makes you come from a, a, a place of power because now they're looking at you as a peer and because you're not asking like the typical juniorish questions you're asking more like a peer-to-peer question which i think can also psychologically make them look at you like i could see this person working with me at this point there's a lot of psychology involved in these interviews don't let what anybody don't let anybody steer you the wrong way interviews are as much about luck as they are about skill and they are a combination of both if you have the skill you will eventually have the luck you just need to do enough reps in the interview circuit and you will beat it i guarantee you I was terrible at them for a long time. Then I got good at them through targeted study and doing exactly what I've laid out for you here, studying for these three types of interviews. Good luck out there. Always happy to chat more about that. You can go on parsity.io, look at a link to schedule a brainstorm session with me. If it's not a sales call, I'm happy to do these while I have time to help you out in your career. I've gotten so much help over the years from total strangers that I almost feel it's my duty to give back a little bit here and there. But also, hey, if you want to learn how to code and pay us money to do that and get hooked up with one-on-one mentors and a career services coach and talk to me on Slack and learn all this great stuff that you could never learn on YouTube unless you wanted to spend the next few years bumbling around a bunch of rabbit holes, then hit us up. Until next time, see you later. That'll do it for today's episode of the Develop Yourself podcast. To learn more about becoming a software engineer with us, then check out Parsity.io. If you're not quite ready for that, then jump into our dev30.xyz program, which is 30 days of working on your mindset, habits, and JavaScript skills. Totally worth it. See you next week.